I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the Power Platform Show. Full show notes for this episode, anything we talk about that may be a product, service, that type of thing, I'll make sure there's links in the show notes. You can find that at nz365guy.com forward slash 258. Before we chat with today's guest, here's a quick message from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by ISV Connected. If you're an ISV and you need to check out isvconnected.com, a private ISV membership-only community that recently launched for the sole purpose of making ISVs successful. Yes, navigating the Microsoft ISV landscape is easy with friends. Sign up today at isvconnected.com. Now, let's get on with the show. Well, today's guest is from Laverne, Flanders in Belgium. He is a Dynamics 365 consultant at Thrive. He's a dog lover, has a bulldog. You can find him on Twitter at Nathan Van Blary. Welcome to the show, Nathan Blimberry. Thank you very much, Mark. Good morning, or good, good evening morning. in your case. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Did I pronounce your name right? Well, you got my first name right, and that's the most important bit. Mm-hmm. How do you say your last name? It's Van Blare, but it's very language-specific, so usually wow, English-speaking yes. people tend to get it wrong. Yes, yes. I apologize. Are you more French-speaking or Belgium, or what's your choice? I'm Dutch-speaking, but French works as well. As you know, half of the country speaks French. You mm-hmm, have to mm-hmm. kind of try and speak both languages, but I'm natively mm. Dutch-speaking. Right, right, right. Now, I find it interesting, Flanders, and, you know, I was brought up in school with a poem about Flanders Field, which, of course, relates to the World War. Is that the kind of area that was, you know, one of the big battle locations during the World Wars? Yeah, the town I grew up in was actually where the poem is about. So I really come from that specific area. But then I moved later on just outside of Brussels. But yeah, Flanders is still, you know, the center of World War II and the history around it. Yeah, yeah. Incredible, incredible. I I read last year, I think it was, I read, I don't know, a big volume on Winston Churchill. And what blew my mind is just how, how close London was to that location. In other words, how close that battle did come and... And how easy he was, you know, before he became prime minister, got a sign back there and was fighting on those kind of front lines. And it just, it's crazy to me, the, you know, I've, I've traveled that, you know, via train between London through Belgium and onto the Netherlands, just how close really everything is, everything is in Europe. Yeah, it's a small world, isn't it? Mm, so true, so true. So before we get into your story and particularly around your, your ISV journey, I'm interested in and finding out what you do when you don't work. What do you enjoy, you know, when you're not growing your business? All right. Well, when I'm not working, which I do quite a lot of the time, honestly, I love to go out and play sports. I play football. I go to the gym. Unfortunately, a lot of that is not possible anymore due to COVID. So we're pretty much in a semi-lockdown for the moment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those are my main activities. As you said in the introduction, I love walking with my dog. 
shopping with my wife is a part of what I have to do in my spare time as well, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, those are mainly the things I enjoy doing. Wow, wow. What's your dog's name? It's Guapo. Guapo. Which is Spanish. Yeah, it's Spanish for a good-looking guy. Ah, very cool. I like that. I like that. I might steal it once I get <laughs> my dog. Guapo. Very cool, very cool. So tell us, give us some background on the business that you're in and how you came about becoming an ISV with Microsoft. Okay, so we've been actively creating ISV solutions with Trives since the beginning of Trives, when we founded Trives, which is about five years ago now. And before we founded Trives, the founders, the co-founders and myself, we already had some experience working for another ISV vendor. And we just felt like the time was there to start doing something for ourselves. And that's how we joined Trives, started Trives, and focused primarily on ISV development. So tell me a bit about, you know, what's your core underlying technology from Microsoft that you're taking a dependency on? You know, is it D365 sales? Is it the Power Platform? Where, where do your add-on solutions really sit with that Microsoft ecosystem? Okay, well, we focus 100% on Dynamics 365 Power Platform, meaning that initially our solutions, they were built on Microsoft Dynamics here in 2011. And then from there, gradually we grew to the 2013, 2015, 365, and mainly on the sales model we're working now. But what the cool thing is with the Power Platform is that you're no longer restricted to the sales part. So we, we also have add-ons for customer service, or we just have add-ons for people that don't have CRM or sales, sorry, but work primarily with custom model-driven apps. So it's a whole new world that opened up for us, really. Yeah, yeah. And do, do you know what? I think it's a world that... A lot of people that have been in our industry a long time haven't really understood and discovered. You know, for years we dealt with the concept of XRM, which is, you know, if I look at through my career, a lot of my implementations never had anything to do with sales, customer service, and or marketing. But we wanted the core platform to build another solution. You know, for example, built a solution that was used in border force protection for a government agency, right? That's not customer relationship. It wasn't case management. So, you know, with the Power Platform, we now have this. And so are you kind of detaching from the traditional licensing structure of a Dynamics product and building your, your app standalone? Well, mostly not really, because we see that a lot of implementations, they still, especially the bigger implementations, they still tend to go to the sales and use the sales module and build their implementations on top of that, even if it's not really sales related. So most of our add-ons, they come on top of sales or they come on top of customer service. But again, if someone has a completely from scratch implementation on the Power Platform and model-driven apps, our add-ons, they're basically just solutions you install on top of them. So in a sense, we're platform independent, meaning uh, sales module, customer service module, you name it. But in reality, we're mostly used within a sales context still. Okay, okay. So tell us about your ISV solutions. What do they do and who are the target audiences for them? All right. Well, we have a couple of ISV solutions that we provide. So we have these smaller add-ons that we put on the app source and that we can put available on our website, which primarily ensure a smooth user experience and they add business productivity for the end user, but they're really small add-ons. So we put them online for low entry fee and we consider those a huge part of our marketing really because people they have a pain point they google that pain point on the internet they go like hey we need something to easily manage our uploads in dynamics 365 they google that they find our add-ons they install it and that's how they get to know tribes 
So that's one part of the add-ons they offer. Then we have the bigger, more complex add-ons like VoIP integrations. And for them, we tend to use a subscription-based model. And then we have our key differentiator, which is tries fast forward. And tries fast forward is basically a solution to the fact that SMEs don't have an easy way of migrating from an on-premise Dynamics CRM on-premise environment to Dynamics 365 online. So as you know, Microsoft has a, has, has a migration plan themselves called Fast Track. Correct. Yep. But the requirements for that are, let's say, pretty high to say the least. So a lot of the SMEs out there, they're not eligible for fast track. So they're left hanging a bit. And when they reach out for partners, either the partner is missing the experience in doing migrations or it's not their core business because they like to work on adding new business values and not taking existing projects, moving them to the cloud. So the customer is a bit left hanging there. And that's why we decided to offer them a hassle-free alternative. I so, like it. I like it. So just in understanding that product. So you know, with fast track, it's generally around 200 seat implementation requirement for Microsoft to consider migrating somebody from an on-prem Dynamics environment to an online. And so what you've done with fast forward, I take it as provide that for everybody that kind of sits out that range or outside of that range at Microsoft targets with fast track. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Cause that, that's a lot of work, you know, is in I've been involved in migration projects and, you know, from, you know, let's say they're still on 2011 or 2013, they have to be migrated through those on-premise versions and then ultimately moved into Azure as a staging environment. You know, the data validation, all the the customization configurations, that type of thing translated through and then ultimately upgraded or transferred into Serum Online. It's not just a, you know, upload type process. There's quite a, a few moving parts in that. So I take it your solution is kind of developed IP around making that a smooth journey for the customer. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of grew organically and because, as you said, it's a lot of work. And at the end of the year, a couple of years ago, we were looking at the projects we've been doing and trying to identify where our focus was. And we came to the realization that about three-fourths of all projects that we did, about 75%, were migrations from an on-premise to an online. And that we already had like a tool set which we reused every time. And then we thought, hey, why not you know, expand this tool set that we are using internally and really build a service and an automated tool around migrating yes. customers from an on-premise to an online version. And this year, we've even migrated a Dynamics CRM4 customer to the online. Wow. Wow. I didn't realize people would still yeah, be they're on still out Dynamics. There. Wow. That is incredible. So I take it you're not just operating within Belgium. Your target audience is wider than Belgium? Yeah, so we decided explicitly to not really be geographically bound to anything. So we didn't target Belgium specifically. And you see that in the numbers. So when we are talking about our add-ons, which are available on AppSource, the small effective ones, I don't know, honestly, in how many countries we're active, but I see registrations coming in from China, the Philippines, India. And I think we even have a couple of purchases in New Zealand, too. Wow. So wow. But when looking at fast forward, though, that's another story. We are currently active in six countries and all of them are based in Europe. So when looking at the countries, it's Belgium, it's the Netherlands, France, UK, Ireland. So it's the surrounding countries. And honestly, I don't really have an explanation for that. And so as to why that comes that we're only active in Europe. 
but maybe it's just because a lot of these projects come from our indirect network. Yeah. And I mean, heck, Europe's a massive market, so I assume that there's plenty of business just operating within that geography. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You get a lot of requests incoming. So you mentioned looking at the type of work you were doing, and you know, 75% was migration. So were you more traditionally a, a value-added reseller? Or in other words, you sold all the Microsoft licensing or an SI system integrator, that became an ISV that also offers services around there? How do you see yourself on that landscape? Well, I think we've always, since the beginning, tried to be a mix of being an ISV vendor and being a system integrator, as you know, I believe the best way to know what ISVs to build and what is living in the market is to actually be working with the customers and be doing implementations for the customers and get their valuable feedback and then take that feedback and spin it around and creating a generic robust solution that can be used for other customers as well. Because really, when a customer has a pain point or a problem, he can't be the only one that has it, can he? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So basically, so true, I, so I think true. it's a mix of both that causes you to be successful. So being a system integrator causes you to be successful in, as an ISV vendor, but the other way around as well. Having those ISVs at your disposal makes that you can do faster deliveries as a system integrator. Mm-hmm. How do you handle staffing for your ISV solutions? And what I mean here is... You know, my experience is that SI work where you're you're often building time and materials or a project delivery is quite different than, you know, developing IP that will be sold over and over again. Do you have separate teams that work on on those individual elements or is it all the same developers, you know, functional consultants, architects, that type of thing involved in both the ISV part of your business as well as the SI part? That's a very good question. We try and mix and match that, although that's difficult. I mean, if you have projects that are ongoing for years, you can't just tell your customer, hey, we are going to take this developer from you for a couple of months now because he needs to develop on an add-on. So it's tricky finding a balance, but we do try and involve everyone within the team in product development as you know, developers generally like product development a lot. So they're also asking, can we be a part of that? So yeah, on the other hand, we also want them to be involved in customer implementations so they hear firsthand what the pain points of the customer are, what the customer really needs, because you can build beautifully technical, complex things. If the customer can't use it or it's to no added value of the customer, then there's just no use in developing it. So yeah, we, we try and have best of both worlds, but it's a tricky balance. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I hear, you know, from the industry that we operate in is that the way Microsoft has, you know, created the ISV opportunity, and I'm, I'm, I'm specifically talking within business applications here, there's issues around protecting IP. So for example, you can't use traditional, like obstificating the code, et cetera, to stop it being able to be copied easily because that gets rejected when you submit via app source. How do you protect or how do you, do you have a, your own licensing engine for your ISV solutions? How do you protect your IP with the tools that you have available to you? Yeah, not a very good question, Mark. So, yeah, unfortunately, there's no out-of-the-box solution for licensing payment or code obfuscation or anything. So we basically rolled our own licensing mechanism on top of Azure API management. And the licensing mechanism handles everything from trial keys to one-time payments as well as subscriptions and that kind of stuff. So we got that covered, but then, as you said, we still have the aspect of our code not being able to up, being obfuscated as Microsoft then rejects us in the app source. 
So what we do to get around that is, first of all, we try and put an important part of the business logic behind sort of paywall, meaning that the business logic is executed in one of our API management services. So you need to be able to call our service. And then we have a, we have a checkpoint, you know, if your license key that you're sending is not valid, we don't execute the business logic. But for some add-ons, that's not possible. And in that case, we try and obfuscate the code as much as possible, which means that when going through the AppSource process, indeed, it gets declined. So then one of the tech guys from the AppSource team reaches out to us, asks us for the verified source code. We send the source code that corresponds to the obfuscated version. They validate that and they let the obfuscated version go through. Wow. Okay. That's good to know. That's good to know. So you have created a workaround with that validation team. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it is quite a lengthy process though, because we have to submit the original product. It gets declined. They reach out to us. We send the source code over. They validate the source code. So, you know, it's just another layer in between and it takes quite a lot of time. So it increases your go-to-market time. Yeah. Yeah. If you... Uh, you know, as an ISV, if you had, you know, a list of asks from Microsoft, things that might be they could do at the platform level, things that they could do perhaps via the ISV program, what would be on your shopping list of requests from Microsoft that would make your life as an ISV more streamlined, enable you to, you know, engage your market quicker and ultimately sell more Power Platform and Dynamics into customers? Okay, well, we only have an hour for this session, right? <laughs> now, I think there's a couple of things that would drastically improve the experience we have with putting add-ons online. And I'm going to focus on the app source now. I'm just going to pick one. Yeah, yeah. And I really have mixed feelings with app source. I mean, I see the potential of app source. And when looking at Salesforce's app exchange or even the WordPress plugin store, for example, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, this could mm -hmm. be something really huge for us ISV vendors, but it's just not. I mean, in, in my opinion, the thing that's holding back the app source is just too technical. I mean, it just doesn't work. Have you tried installing an app from the app source, Mark, as an end user? Yeah, yeah. Difficult, right? It's difficult. It's not intuitive and you get stuck in the process. I mean, there's no streamlined process in how to handle licensing or pricing, as we just discussed. But that means that every vendor is left to handle his or her own licensing mechanism on their own, which means that if you install three or four add-ons, you get a completely different user experience. And that makes it difficult for an end user. So we see a lot of incoming leads from AppSource, which is a good thing, which means that customers do find the way to AppSource. But then we notice that a lot of those incoming leads, they don't even succeed in activating our add-on. So in activating the license key, and by the time we've contacted them, well, they've already given up and went with another solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So also, if a user goes to the app source and he, he or she succeeds in installing an add-on, then what? I mean, he doesn't even know the installation is finished because it's an asynchronous process. He has no idea what to do next, what to start, or what is happening in the background. So, I mean, it's really simple stuff like that that they could add to their app source, like a notification notifying the user, hey, your add-on is ready for use. Click here to get started or see the instructions, that kind of stuff. Because essentially it should be as simple as installing an app on your smartphone. Everyone knows how to do that. And everyone buys a lot of apps as well or does in-store purchases or in-app purchases. So don't get me wrong though. I still believe there's a huge potential in app source. And we've been in app source since 2016 and a lot has changed since then. So I'm hoping the best is yet to come. But yeah, Microsoft, if you are listening, get in touch. I have a lot of ideas. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. I think all your examples there were all 
very true, very accurate, and I've heard a lot of them being asked for a long time. And yet on the flip side, I hear from Microsoft folks that, you know, what's wrong with App Source? It's all fine. Like, you know, and sometimes I believe they do a lot of internal navel gazing and, and blow wind up each other's dress around what's working. And the fact is folks like you that are at the coal face, they just don't seem to engage in whether they don't care or what I don't know. Now, I'm saying this, you're not saying this, <laughs> so this is no reflection on you. This is my observation. There's a lot of people like you that have answers to what's wrong, but it seems like there's nobody that has a KPI or a measurement within this space within to actually really sort it out because this, you know, everything you've mentioned has been ongoing for many, many years. Absolutely. So it's great to hear it from you. I love it. Tell us about, you know, a little bit more detail around those other ISV solutions that you have outside of the migration and fast forward, you know, who's your target audience for them? What's the focus market? And I did really want to talk about how you market and get new clients. Okay. Well, we primarily focus on a broader range of the SME segment. We follow our products and even as the system integrated part, so the projects we focus on are also the SME segment. Again, internationally, we don't have a country specific segment that we're targeting just internationally. And we're targeting that segment because we've noticed that a lot of the SME customers are facing difficulty in getting high quality support for the CRM journey. Or from their perspective, as they say, it, it's hard to get value for their money. And we believe that there are a lot of opportunities in that segment to have a direct impact with the customer and add significant business value there. But it does require a very high level of flexibility and agility. And that's something it doesn't always match with a lot of traditional partners. And from time to time, even with Microsoft, that doesn't always match. So that's why we decided to really jump into that SME segment with our ISV products, with our consultancy services. And the type of solutions that we offer are then very user-centric, meaning that we really look at increasing their level of, of, of user acceptance with Dynamics CRM and really try and increase the enjoyment they have and the benefits they reap of Dynamics 365. Yeah. So are they, are they tools that drive adoption? Is that what you're saying and, and use of the platform? Yeah, I would say, yeah. So we, we look at what the pain points are for customers or where they get stuck. And that's where the system integrated part comes in handy. When we deliver a training of something that we implemented and we just give them the driver's seat, give the customer the driver's seat, and we look at what they're doing, they, can, they tend to get stuck on the same places. You know, customer A, B, and C, they run into a wall on the same places. And that's where we look at and we take our ISV IDs from there and then we try and fix those pain points. And by fixing the pain points, um, we're basically just making a smoother Dynamics 365 user experience. And it ensures that the customer makes more use out of Dynamics 365 because if they no longer get stuck on those pain points, they can focus on a good side of things and they go deeper in the system and you know they just get more value from the system. So... So when it comes to attracting new customers to your business, you know, are you advertising? Are you marketing? Is it all word of mouth? How do you have a specific plan to acquire a, a set number of customers each year? How do you look at your business from that perspective? So for starters, we believe content is king. We try and blog a lot. We have our cheap and free add-ons even online, the very small ones, just to get word out there that, hey, there is a solution for your problems and we can offer you that solution. So that's an important one. Then we did try and set up, or we did invest a lot on marketing campaigns, adverts and the likes. 
But what we yes, noticed yes. is that if you don't have, and I, I guess this is next to content, the most important thing, if you don't have a good network in the Dynamics 365 community, whatever you bring to the table, it's going to be hard to sell. And I mean, you can, you can literally spend a ton of money on AdWords and marketing campaigns in Google and whatever, but ultimately you need to have a good Dynamics 365 network. And I think that's the most important What do you mean by thing. that? What do you mean by a good Dynamics 365 network? Are you talking about other partners, other, you know, people that know about you? What are you referring to? Yeah, other partners indeed, you know, just to be present online with your content, but then also on the events in the community, be active, be helping others. And I think, I really believe if you help other people, good karma will come over you, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, just be active in that community, be willing to help other partners out. And for us, that is key. I mean, thinking about the fast forward solution that we have, we actually do quite a lot of fast forward projects for partners of ours because they know we have that tool set and it's basically a win-win because they can spend more time doing their system integration and their consulting on top of the online environment then. And we wouldn't have had all of those opportunities if we didn't spend a lot of time in in our network and connecting with other Dynamics 365 partners. Wow, wow. So you're in those type of situations, the other partner is priming the engagement with the customer and you're basically, you're not owning the direct relationship with the customer, you're doing it via a partner. Yeah, in those cases, yeah. So we have quite a lot of direct customers for fast forward as well. But yeah, we also partner up with partners and it, the beauty of it is it remains the partner's customer, so they don't have to be worried about us stealing the customer. I mean, it's just not our interest. But we do take the pain of upgrading an on-premise to an online migration away from them so they can focus on adding value to their customer. I love it. I love it. Tell me about the time zones you operate across, and this to some degree is covered in geography, and you talked about the various European countries. Do you have any need, particularly, you know, I see with ISV Solutions, how do you offer support when you sell outside your country's hours of business, so to speak? And I'll give you an example. As in, I, years ago, used to buy a product, an ISV solution out of Belgium. It was around document management. Are you familiar with it? There's a document management company. I think they got acquired by a Canadian company a year or two ago. Yeah, I know the company, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, I sold a heap of that solution across Australia in our various projects. And my biggest bugbear was... They operated, you know, in the European time zone, and that didn't fit the Australian time zone when it came to support and even training. And they were selling to a global market, which they were doing well, but the bit that let them down is the supportability during non-business hours that were specific to Belgium. Are you coming across that at all? How do you handle those kind of time zone shifts when you sell to a global market? Well... Just to start, it hasn't really been a problem for us as we don't really get a lot of support outside of the Belgian business hours. But again, here, what we do is because we do keep it into account, especially some customers ask for 24-7 support even in Belgium. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Again, we're looking at our network here. So I would be looking in the community to people I know, people I trust who live outside of Belgium, who live in the US, who live in Australia. And I'd reach out to them and ask them if they want to join us or if they want to be part of our support team for the product. And a lot of them are willing to do that. So that's basically how we solve the 24-7 problem is just by reaching out to our network and getting our consultancy from there. 
I like it. I like it. What about global transactions? Are you dealing only in euros or do you, you sell in US dollars or, or any other currency as well? Well, the add-ons can be purchased online through credit card. So that's never an issue. You know, we okay. just put the price in wow, euros. Wow, so there. simple. Yeah. And I love it. I love from it. From time to time, we do get the occasional email, but how much is that in dollars? And then it's just a rate of the moment, really, that we're calculating. For the fast forward, we've only worked in Europe mainly. So you would say that all transactions happen in euro but then of course we have a couple of projects in the uk as well but then we just you know charge euros as well and that's never been an issue up until now yeah yeah no and it makes sense you know i feel that the euro is quite a common currency now as is you know the usd but i mean even i found like once again operating in australia new zealand some companies large companies don't want to transact in those type of currencies they want to do it local but you know, it's brilliant that any of those type of smaller purchases, if it's credit card, it's the credit card payment companies sort out all those type of conversions for you at the time of sale. Yeah, absolutely. And then for the fast forward, we're basically in the SME segment and they're usually not the type to not be willing to pay in the currency we work with. I mean, I could try invoicing them in Bitcoin, but I don't think that's going to be a success, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Bitcoin hasn't, I've been, you know, an IT a while as yourself, and I still haven't seen it become fully mainstream by any stretch. Now, I remember there was a pizza place in Belgium, which for a brief period of time allowed you to pay your pizza in Bitcoin. And I think if you did back then and you would calculate how much the pizza cost now, that's a pretty expensive pizza you bought back then. Yeah, back then, right? Yeah, totally, totally. So tell me about your Microsoft relationship. How much does Microsoft play in your day-to-day -day business outside of AppSource? What role do you have with either local Microsoft people or even, you know, people in Microsoft in, in Seattle or, or, you know, in regards to the ISV program? What's your kind of touch points with them? Who are the kind of key roles that you engage with and how, how does that affect your business? Okay, well, locally, we have a couple of contact points that we can go to but how is the saying go can't live with them can't live without them that's kind of the relationship we have with microsoft globally it's all right actually you know being the big enterprise that microsoft is it can be challenging for them to find a way around the sme market and especially for business applications i have that feeling and it goes both for end customers and partners so it can be at times quite hard to reach microsoft but the local contacts are doing a good job of maintaining relationships with the partners and guiding us around the Microsoft landscape. So I can't complain really. The fact that Microsoft globally has put a lot of focus on Dynamics 365 and the Power Platform, that's definitely beneficial for us as well. Yeah, yeah. It's quite interesting to see the analyst report recently that it's now a $3 billion business to Microsoft, which is, you know, that's Microsoft Biz Apps. That's pretty phenomenal size you know, of business that they've grown. Yeah, that's huge, isn't it? Mm -mm. Tell me about, you know, you touched on community and networks, but, you know, how, how much is your organization and individuals within it involved in the community, whether, you know, that's speaking at conferences, events, you know, training other users? What part does the Power Platform community play in your business? Well, it's an important part and it's not to be underestimated. And I put... I really emphasize that we need to be delivering content and not only for our customers, but just in the community as well. And I'm talking about the Dynamics 365 community blogs. I'm also talking about our own website and, you know, definitely attending all of the events, the Extreme 365, unfortunately got canceled, but that's a major one for us. And we also try and 
you know, be actively present on those events by speaking, by hosting sessions, by being in panels. So for us, that's really a major part of, yeah, of the company, of the DNA of our company. So thank you very much for having me, Mark, today, because this is part of it as well. And it's just really important to be actively engaged, especially because the fast pace at which Microsoft is going forward with the business applications, if you don't actively participate in the community, you just can't keep up, really. Yeah, so true, so true. Yeah, it's been very interesting to talk to you. I found it quite insightful, particularly, you know, what you shared around app source and the needs there. Before we jump on to some quick fire questions, is there anybody that you would recommend as a guest for the show in future? Hmm. Well, if I could pick someone, I would say Ian Bourne is definitely an interesting guy to talk with. He has Cloud 2020 in the UK, which does a lot of cool things. And he, he has a very good mind and a very good vision about where he wants to go with the company and, and how Dynamics 365 evolves. So definitely worth a chat with Ian. Interesting. I mean, I've met Ian, but I know his daughter a lot better, Lucy. And I'll not go into details there. <laughs> yeah, I spent a bit of time in the UK. She's a great, great lady. But that's awesome. That's a good recommendation. I love it. One last thing, actually, before I get on to Quickfire. Tell me about how COVID has affected your business. Are you growing or has it negatively impacted your business? Not a good question. Well, at the beginning of COVID, there was a lot of uncertainty. So I spent a lot of time calling all of our customers, seeing what is going on. And what we noticed back then is that a lot of the customers put their projects on hold. And that was the beginning of March where they just wanted to wait and see. But then after a couple of weeks, you know, it was pretty clear that this wasn't something that was going to be fixed very fast. So then gradually they started continuing with the project and relooking the budgets that were planned for Dynamics projects. So we haven't really had any negative impact when it comes to the finance part of things. What we do notice is that there's a lot more uncertainty. So where we used to be sure of projects for the next two years, so to say, the time period of, of which we are sure that projects are going to continue has become a lot shorter, the time span, meaning that customers, they don't, I have the impression they're afraid to make long-term planning now because of COVID. So, so they tend to do short-term planning and then not look too much to the future. So that has become quite a challenge. But I do believe that the companies that are investing heavily now in their digital transformation and making a shift to the cloud, they are the ones that are coming out of this crisis stronger. So, yeah, we can't complain, really. And let's just hope all of this COVID passes over rather fast. Yeah, so true, so true. Okay, here's the, are you ready for some quick-fire questions? I guess so, yeah. Okay, okay. Which trip have you been on that changed your life? Sicily. Why? I don't know. I just love Sicily. I went to Sicily on a honeymoon trip, and... I fell in love with the island there, uh, with the way people live, with the weather, with everything. And it made me realize, you know, once I reach retirement, I'm moving there, no doubt. <laughs> Beautiful. Which teacher has had the biggest impact in your life? That has to be my math teacher, because he was a really chill guy. And he made me realize that, you know, you can have your own way of tackling things and everything will be all right at the end of the day. Because he was not the traditional teacher kind of guy. He had a very special way of doing things and that worked for him. So he made me realize you don't have to follow a certain pattern. You can just do everything you want the way you want it. Mm -hmm. And that works. That's cool. That's cool. What's your definition of success? Ooh, that's a very difficult question. I think the definition of success in terms of business is when your customer 
is happy about the work you do and he lets other people know. So when your customer says to his network, I've worked with the tribes guys, get in touch with them, they'll do a good job, that's success. Nice. I like it. What's your go-to strategy for achieving your goals? Work hard, play hard. That's really all it boils down to. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I agree with it too, 100%. What's a deal breaker for you in a relationship? Like, and I'm not talking about romantic relationships. I'm talking, you know, business relationships, any type of relationships. What's a deal breaker where you'd go, you know what, the relationship, the friendship, the acquaintance is not worth continuing? Disrespect, really, and that goes for everything. If there's disrespect in a relationship from one side and it just can't work, and that's, you know, friends, business, everything, there has to be mutual respect. I like it. I like it. Nathan, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for coming on and sharing your insights into, you know, your experiences in the ISV. Well, thank you very much for having me, Mark. It was a pleasure to be here, and I really enjoyed it. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, business application MVP, Mark Smith, also known as or otherwise known as the NZ365 guy, a.k.a. If there's a guest that you'd like to see on the show, please message me. Hit me up on LinkedIn's the best way to get hold of me, and we'll see if we can get them scheduled for an episode. Please like and subscribe in your favorite app if you want to leave a review. You can do that by going to nz365guy.com forward slash review. You'll see all the current reviews and and gives you an option to add your own. And with that, stay safe out there. See you next time.